millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This episode of Silent Giants is brought to you by Allie. Allie, powered by Verizon locations, are developed by Verizon, the world's leading technology company. In collaboration with Allie, a membership-only community workspace for creators, each location is a community curated and powered by the emerging technologies and thought leadership of Verizon. With Allie, Verizon is bridging the gap between startup and corporation by helping the community workspace build next-level ecosystems with entrepreneurs. And now, on to my interview with Tony Peralta. There's, this, there's a game that people play that's this kind of like weird kind of like friend nepotism thing where people hook up their friends, right? So I hit a wall with that because I didn't know who, you know, there, there isn't necessarily an agency out there. Might, there might be just one person. And I was just like, you know what? I'm just going to continue doing it. Yeah, yeah, check it out. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Uh, yeah. Everybody tuning in, you invited, you invited. No matter what mood you in, get excited, get excited. Everybody love the music. Let me tell you how they do it. Whether writer or an agent, let me tell you how they made it. You are now talking to a silent giant. Wanna walk in their shoes, silent giants. Wanna study they moves, silent giants. Wanna know what they do, silent giants. Silent giants, y'all. <laughs> Pa bless everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Silent Giants a podcast that highlights the superstars behind the scenes of popular culture. I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. Our special guest this episode is legendary New York City artist, fashion designer, and entrepreneur, Tony Peralta. A native of Washington Heights, Tony is the living definition of what it is to be a New Yorker. A Dominican-American born to immigrant parents, Ms. Peralta began his professional artistic career as a graphic designer. His art, inspired by his Dominican heritage, New York City, and hip-hop culture, has been revered by art lovers and critics all over the world. Tony is the founder of Tala Peralta, a clothing line with a flagship location in his native Washington Heights neighborhood where he was raised. In this interview, I got to chat with Tony in his Washington Heights apartment about growing up in New York City, how his career in art began, we talked Tala Peralta, he shares entrepreneurship insights, and so much more. Without further ado, let me introduce you to the artist, graphic designer, fashion designer, entrepreneur, my friend, the silent giant, Tony Peralta. Tony, what's going on, bro? I'm good. Chilling, man. Dude. On this rainy Wednesday. It's a rainy Wednesday yeah, in man. New York in October. I know. It's a terrible, terrible weather today. It's kind of cold and rainy. This is not my favorite. This is not my favorite weather. Oh, I would say no, it's not. Yeah, because <laughs> not either. it's cold and rainy. Well, it's not like a January rain. It's no, it's, it's not like a January rain, but it's, it's a like, chill rain. It's a, like you could get sick. You can get sick from this, mm-hmm. absolutely. Especially with like the weather. What was it, like last week? It was ninety degrees. Yeah. So it was like 90, 90 degrees last week. Mm-hmm. It never hit like above seventy three again. Yeah. And then now we have like a cold, rainy day in October. Yep. But yeah. it's it's the vibe though. I feel like this is um, 
it's just one of those days you could like stay in the house and play some jazz. This is definitely smoke a little something, play a little shot. A this is what I call first day of school weather. Absolutely. Yeah, like this is like the this is what I remember first day of school to be. Like this is the like this is motivated. This will motivate you. Well, you're not motivated to get up to go to school, but you don't feel bad being in school because it's raining and it's ugly and there's nothing to do. Yes, this is that that great day. The adult version of that is going to work. Like yeah, going to the office. Exactly. It's a great going to the office. Yeah, because you're staying not... late in the office. Yep. Yep, yes. exactly. Yes, like mm-hmm. not going to happy hour. Yeah. Putting in the extra work. Yep, yep. Dude, it's so good being here at your at your place. Your place is so like quintessential New York. It's like your vibe. I've, I've been told that plenty of times. It feels like a movie. All right. I've been told that. And then there's a train, the tra- the one train passes by. Yeah, you, well. you, you hear the train going by. You, yeah. you walk in, you have like the, like the courtyard. Mm-hmm. It's just total New York. Do you get to see the cat? No, I didn't get to see the cat. Okay, because there's a cat. There's a there's a there's like the the he's the the mascot of the building. He's just like a street cat, but he lives in the building. I mean, the cat the cat is a uh, uh, the the mascot for New York City. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If if I had to say what animal do you see the most of, well, cat and rats. Cat and rats. Yeah, <laughs> and there's always you know and there's oh you know I've grown up. There's always been like cats like they because they they're they're always like on in the back. Of the building, yeah. So even in my old building, growing up, there used to be a, a a couple of like alley cats that we call them. Well, we have alley cats, but then we also have like the bodega cats and the bodega cats, of course. And they and they serve a vital function. Yes, they do. Yes, they mm-hmm. are, they are extremely important. Yeah, I mean they get rid of the rats. Indeed, that's why they have it in the <laughs> bodega. Oh, I mean I figured that. Yeah, absolutely. I mm-hmm. mean you have the food around, so it makes total sense. Yeah. Well, first of all, Tony, it's a pleasure to uh, have you here on the show. We met, man. We were just talking before Mike's, you know, got the the mic rolling. That we met right when Silent Giants, the week before I debuted it. Yeah, you know, so it's like two years ago, man. Yeah, time flies. Time it, when I went back and thought about like when did I meet Tony? It was like literally two years ago. Yeah. Shout crazy. out to Lenny Slogan. Yeah, shout out to that's Lenise. how we met. We were on her panel. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, her love, her love panel. When I think about you, Tony, I think about the quintessential New Yorker, like these your story is the story of what a New Yorker is to me. And from moving here, I'm from Virginia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I've kind of learned about New York culture, you know, over the course of being here. Yeah. But your story and your narrative just fits the mold of what I think a true New Yorker is. I think you, I've had the pleasure of interviewing DJ Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. He's someone as well who I feel like, and uh, Babito Garcia. Totally. Definitely the quintessential New York. I mean, those two guys are definitely the quintessential New Yorkers. And they also represent um, a different generation than I do. Yeah. Because they're an inspiration. Espe- you know what? They're both are, but especially Bobito. Especially Bobito because he's somebody that has made, well, they both have. They both have made a living in being themselves, right? And it's pretty incredible. I mean, I've met Bobito before and speaking to him, and it's like, how do you do? How, like especially back then like maybe 10 15 years ago it's like how to like it was i didn't know how to i didn't understand how it was possible for this guy to just make a living off of literally being himself literally right? and i'm in that position now yeah but it's mind-blowing to me well, i it's cause, cause crazy also too 
he had the ability to make content mm-hmm. like and go viral yeah before the internet you know what i mean because of the way that that radio show and the way they were able to people were burning tapes no, oh yeah he kind of went viral and had like he was involved in content and now we're living in an era where i feel like content we're living in the premium content era. But the thing about Bobito, after seeing his um documentary, the last one he did, he was the first of so many things that I was like, huh, word. Yes. Like the 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 sneaker boutique in New York City, um, the whole basketball thing. Oh, he's so incredible, man. Like that guy is a national treasure. It's you know, and then it's I, I can't like you know, props to Bobito, man. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What what would you say is the definition of a? I have my definition, but what is your definition of a quintessential New Yorker? <sighs> quintessential New Yorker. I don't know. I, I think. Well, I think we're like a last of a dying breed. I mean, in regards to like that generation, and I think I represent um, a last. Like, I'm 45, so I grew up in the 80s and 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 i was a teenager in the 90s so growing up so being in elementary school and in junior high school in the in the 80s i grew up with uh still this old sensibility um that ties in a whole bunch of different generations right like i remember a time where the tv at midnight there was no programming Right. Um, and, you know, and seeing how like tough New York City was. So there's this. So being a New Yorker, you have to be tough. And then being first generation immigrant, like you got you come here and you have to kind of fall in line. You know what? Being a New Yorker is learning how to pay your dues. Mm. Mm. I, t- I totally agree. I, I was out in L.A. And um, my, I, every time you go to LA, it just, it just treats you so nice when you land. It's so mm-hmm. I love LA so much. <laughs> I love LA. It's mm-hmm. so nice. The weather's always great. People are always smiling. And I was talking to this guy on a camping trip when I was out there, my boy C Todd. And he goes, man, if you move to LA in the first two years, everyone wants to be your friend. Everyone wants to work with you. It's like the fastest two years of your entire life. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, dude, my New York experience is the exact opposite. I've been here for nine years and I'm just starting to. I felt like around year seven, year eight. I just started to kind of find myself and find my lane and, you know, kind of earn some stripes here in the city. Yeah, because the thing is, like, especially if you're dealing with New Yorkers, like, if you're dealing with people that have been here for a long time or you're dealing with real New Yorkers, you're dealing with people that already have their real friends, Mm. like their set of friends. So it's like it's not easy bringing in a whole new person because it's like, yo, you don't know my mother. Right. Right. You know, right, right, you're right. like, you ain't grow up with me. Right. Right. Or if you're, or, you know, if you're a new York or if you're somebody who's been living for here for 10, 15 years, like you went through that whole process, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a process to go that you go through here in New York city to be let in, you know, and you, it's, it's literally paying your dues. That's why like, you know, a lot of people come off as like bitter because with with a gener- a younger generation because these a lot of people want to cut corners you know with everything and it's like and and you know we didn't grow up that way you know what i'm saying like it's just 
yo, you just it's paying your dues in, in every way. It's just like even like being in the block and being made fun of. <laughs> and like right. like there's there's just a thing that you go through as being a New Yorker that that you go through this like training as from a kid being made fun of that you 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 have a thick skin, you know, people snapping on you, you know, and then you have you start learning how to like have a sense of fashion and learning how to talk back to people, you know, um, kind of learning how to trust people, like learning how to like pay attention to your surroundings. Absolutely. You know what I'm saying? So like if some, if a loud noise happens, you're like, all right, what's going on here? You know what I'm saying? When you walk in somewhere, you, you're looking around or like, all right, where I'm at. That's, that's some New York shit. Hey, you know what I find fascinating too, Tony, is that, you know, um, when I'm, most of the people that I get to interview here are, are based here in the city or are from the city. And everyone, New York is always like your your girlfriend. Yeah. Right? It's always like, it's a city you have a relationship with. Mm-hmm. I think that's the- For sure. I think that's like the, to me, the best part about New York. It's not just a city. It's something that you date. Yeah. It's something that you experience. Mm-hmm. You have highs and you have lows together. Yeah, you had, I have a, I literally have a love and hate relationship with the city. Yeah. It, it's, mm-hmm. it's literally, it's, uh, it's the girlfriend that she's- kind of a headache but the sex is great yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah the sex is great and it keeps you in it you're like i'm, I'm gonna stick in this yeah yeah i mean you know you you there's moments where you like hate the city and then there's like you know then summertime comes and you're like oh my god you know like there's it shows you know then you like you love it and then and then by the end of the summertime then in august comes you're like all right i'm over this shit <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know what i'm saying like is that's that's how it is you know um but yeah new, new york is a is a is a very interesting place and you know and and it's changing a lot as well you know what i'm saying like the the things that i loved about new york city is kind of disappearing you know uh tell me about your parents uh who were they and what were their professions and how did they shape your life yeah, so my, you know, I grew up with a single in a single parent household, but I knew, you know, my father was around at, uh, after a certain. He moved back to the Dominican Republic when I was twelve, but he, I would see him every weekend because my father owned the bodega in the Bronx. Um, you know, I grew up on welfare, so even though we grew up on welfare, my mom was a uh, was an entrepreneur. You know, she was a she was a hustler in her own right. Like she, <clears throat> for instance, like in the summertime, my mom would go, we, we used to live close to the park um, and she would make patelitos or what people call empanadas, but Dominicans call it patelitos. Okay. So she would make patelitos and like lemonade and go to the park because these people will be playing like dumb um will be, they will be playing bingo and she'll go sell those you know and come back and she'll make like a hundred dollars in the 90s they used to um so washington heights was known for like we used, we used to sell drugs like we used to this was kind of like a distribution hub for cocaine right we used to sell weight not as you know people would come here to buy like kilos or whatever and from all over and my mom would make lunches for the drug dealers that would be hanging out because basically it's like the dudes in in my block in 187 where i grew up at their schedule the schedule for people who would 
being on the block is 12 to 12. So you cannot leave because customers are going to come, right? And they can't leave the block. So my mom used to make lunch for them. My mom would also buy like clothing by the pound and take it to the American public and sell it there. You know, my mom at one point accumulated a certain amount of certain amount of money that she opened up a food truck in the corner of my block wow. when I was 16, right? It was one of the food, first food trucks up, uptown, you know, I remember. Um, my dad was an entrepreneur, like, you know, he owned the bodega. And so an interesting story, I didn't know this about my father, and I just learned this about two years ago. When he first came here, he... He worked in a factory. They both worked in a factory. But then my mom got sick, and then she couldn't work. That's why we was on welfare. But my dad worked in a factory, and he was like, didn't didn't feel like he was making enough money. His cousin taught him how to drive. He borrowed his cousin's car the next day and, and drove a taxi. And when he saw he made $100... He basically started like driving a cab and he would stay outside until he would make a hundred dollars a day. And each day that he drove a cab, he would make he would he would um the hundred dollars would go towards something. So if it would be towards sending money to DR or sending or for he would budget it differently. And he made so much money that somebody sold him a bodega. Wow. Somebody sold them like somebody sold them a space, and he already had enough money to to um to fill it up with to stock it up. So that was his story in regards to that. So my my parents were like, I I didn't see it back then, but as as I started to come in, accept being an entrepreneur because I'm an artist, and and when I when once like things start to take off with me as far as my my online business and and opening up a shop, I noticed that I come from a line of entrepreneurs, right, and and risk takers, and 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 I looked back at my family and looked back at, at my mom and my dad and these people were the ultimate risk takers, you know, coming here to this country. Like they both didn't speak English, they both didn't still didn't speak English to this day, you know what I'm saying, and. But they managed to to make, you know, to to raise, you know, my mother raised four kids and my father has a bunch of other kids. But he, you know, he 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 lives in the American Republic and, you know, he has um, he raises cattle and stuff like that. What were your early aspirations professionally as a kid? I've always daydreamed of being an artist. As a, when I was a kid, that's all I knew how to do was draw. Where, where does that where did that origin come from? I don't know, man. Like, you know, my earliest my earliest memory of drawing was is kindergarten getting in trouble first day of school for trying to draw the teacher and 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 attracting too much attention to me, right? And then I was a I was a daydreamer, you know. I would daydream in class and like daydream like I w- I thought it was special for some reason. I honestly, you know, the show the movie. Um, Truman Show. Yeah, when the when that movie came out, it bugged me out because I I used to think my life was that when I was eight nine years old. I used to think that my life was a TV show, and when I went to sleep, it was over. It was like it would basically like the snow would come out. Yeah, and then when I wake up, the TV show would start again. It's interesting that you always feel like you were special. I've always said uh, 
I, I never actually interviewed anyone that had that mindset about themselves early on. And I definitely feel like as a child, I always felt like I was special or different. Yeah. But I felt like it was instilled in me uh, from my grandfather. He would always kind of let me know, like, bro, I think you're cut differently. You know? Um, who Was there anyone in your life that kind of made thing. you feel special? No, it was just me. It was just me and my, my, my imagination because I was... I was an I was an introvert, you know. Um, I was just kind of like to you know. I grew up. I have three other siblings. Um, when I was, you know, my, I have a younger sister, so she wasn't around until well, probably when I was ten or eleven years old. But prior to that, I was just you know watching cartoons and like and just like into my own little world man you know drawing i would always draw i would always draw in class and i was just daydream about being famous for some reason right <laughs> um and then when i got when as a teenager um i felt like i was put here for i i felt like there was a purpose for me here but on um, but I had low self-esteem and I, when I was a teenager, I was depressed, but I still had, but there was this thing where I felt there was, I had a purpose in life. I didn't know what it was. Right. So because I felt I had a purpose in life, I didn't sell drugs. Right. I didn't, I didn't, um, cause trust me, I could have done it. Right. But I felt that this, this, well, this was a deterrent for me not to be in the street life was, if I would, the first day that I would sell drugs, I would fall in, I would go to jail because that's not what I'm supposed to be doing in life. So that was always a deterrent. Mm. I would get punished. That would like, it would be a punishment. So I remember having conversations with like the girls from my block and it's like the, the, you know, the drug dealers in in my neighborhood, like all had like Porsches and fly cars and like the fly girls. And I would be like, yeah, I'm getting that. I'll, I'll get that later. I wasn't envious about, I wasn't envious. I'm not an envious person. I wasn't envious of the drug dealers. I knew all of them. They were all cool people. You know what I'm saying? And any, and if anything, I think that they probably saw something in me because I was just like kind of an artsy kid, you know, because they could have easily put me on as well. Um, But yeah, I was just like this weirdo outcast kind of person. How did you know at what point in your life that you could take your art and make it into a career. Like, I think there's some folks who just, they like art, but they're like, you know what, this is something that'll be a passion of mine that I can do as a hobby. At what point did you realize, okay, I'm going to step out and make this into a career? No, that wasn't really until later on because junior high school, so um, the kind of student that I was in, in, in school, I wasn't really good academically because as I learned later on, I'm a visual learner, so I wasn't doing well in school. And unfortunately, I really wanted to go to this art high school called Art and Design. That it's a it's a famous school. Like people like Farrell Monch went there, and like um, Mob Deep went there, and other and a lot of almost every graffiti artist in New York City went there. And I didn't have the grades to go there, so I went to my zone school. George Washington, which um, it's up here. And um, I went into a deep depression when I went into that school because I didn't want to go there. And reading the three years in, 
I read the autobiography of Malcolm X, and then that really kind of like brought me out of the darkness that I was in. Um, and I took my GED, and I and I wanted to be a history major, and I went to Long Island University uh, with the, with being a history major. And first, the first semester, um, it was a really hard history class, but I was really into like Caribbean history and history of people of color. Um, because at that time I was like, you know, conscious, you know, as they say, woke now, I was like, you know, listening to X Clan and, and brand Nubians and all that, you know what I'm saying? Um, and, um, after taking that first history class and figuring out that I have to also learn world history, I was like, nah, I don't want to do this. And somebody told me about this, like communications major. And when I walked into that, to like their lab, um, I saw it was like TV production and graphic design and all that. I was like, oh no, I'm doing this. Cause it's everything that had to do with stimulating my visual. Yeah. And there was also film production and I switched my major and I wanted to be a, a, a movie director cause I love Spike Lee. I can totally see, yeah. see in the world of film. Mm-hmm. I, that's, so I switched it cause I wanted to be a film director and I love, I, you know, I, I was a huge fan of Spike Lee and uh, Quentin Tarantino and all that, and so when I graduated for college, that was my that was my goal. I couldn't find a, a production assistant job, so I I went with Plan B, which is being a graphic designer. So that's when, um, so that's kind of when I felt like that's when you know um, I saw that I could do do let's say art for for a living, you know. Yeah. What was the first step in your career of, of- Breaking into graphic design. I, I was out of work for almost a year. I used to work this terrible job. I was I worked the graveyard shift, so that was just a terrible um, schedule, very depressing working graveyard shift. And a friend of mine started working for this PR marketing, this boutique PR marketing company that did PR and marketing for urban brands, right? So um, this is in 1999. Um, this is at the height of like FUBU and academics and triple five. So, and all this, these great brands. And, um, my friend, uh, helped me get a job there. And, and this opened up, I was like, this, this was like the start of everything for me, like going to Vegas for magic, the magic convention and being part of like the urban fashion, um, was that's when everything kind of like I was like yo like meeting other um creatives of color you know what I'm saying like there's a lot of there's people that I'm friends with you know I met Daytuan through that you oh, know wow. that, yeah like because Daytuan worked at this company called hook.com like you know um it was it was pretty incredible so I started working for that company and I became like design director and like designed their site and their 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 whole identity did a whole new identity for them and um and that's that's how i got my foot in the door what, what did you learn um from being someone who was you know outside of the industry to now being in the industry what was the biggest transition adjustment for you it man because it's like yo i'm this kid from washington me and my best friend the guy the guy at that time leo like we were just these two dudes from washington heights right like and here we were like I mean, what I learned is that people party on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and there's like parties that people get free drinks. <laughs> and like, 
you know, and like everybody lives in Brooklyn and everybody lives in Fort Greene and like everybody knows each other and everybody went to like kind of like the same schools and shit like that. Like, you know, like they're the networking, like a lot of the networking happened where these people lived. Right. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. at that time, like everybody lived in Fort Greene, you know, and or everybody went to Howard or everybody went to Clark. You know what I'm saying? And I didn't, you know, I didn't go to none of those schools, you know what I'm saying? So, I mean, Leo, my friend Leo went to to Clark. So that was kind of like a way how he kind of got put on to the company we worked for because that was called August Bishop. That's a great point you bring up because I think for most folks who aren't from New York City, it's kind of hard to get a grasp on, like, New York is so big and there's so many different pockets. Mm-hmm. Like, your neighborhood is your zone. Yeah. So, like, you're really far from being uptown and mm-hmm. being from the Heights. Yeah. It's a completely different world. It you is. might as well live in D.C. Yeah, you might as well. <laughs> as, as far as, like, connecting with people. And you see, like, for instance, like, you, you when you when you hear Diddy's story, like, Diddy went to Howard and, like, he basically built his networking there. And everybody that works, a lot of people that work for Diddy are from his, like, Howard days, you know? So, you know networking is very important because if it wasn't for me starting to work at that company and meeting all those people that I met throughout those years, when I started doing the Peralta project, I would get like in a magazine in the source or in all the, in, in like little like press hits because of the people that I met at that time, you know, yeah, I was just doing this on my own. So, one thing so you know networking and it's extremely important you know the people that you know is very very important you know that's why i get i get frustrated a lot with uh people in my community a lot because so many folks want to be a big fish in this small pond and it's it's not like that like i've that's never been my goal you know and i i owe a lot to knowing people outside of my community you know what i'm saying like i spent five years going to long island university in brooklyn you know what i'm saying like i know as you know even before and even after going to long island to school in liu when i was doing when i was doing the clothing when i when i first started doing the peralta project i i mean i did spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Afropunk second year like not um they there was like a street festival like after after afropunk there was like a street vending thing i did that two years straight 
you know so like going from from uptown all the way to brooklyn to do to do vending you know um i've done artists and fleas in the very very beginning in williams when it was just in one space in williamsburg now artists and fleas is all throughout the city yeah right so I've always been, I've always thought outside of the box and outside of my community because these things weren't happening here anyway. So it's like, I need to go hustle outside of where, outside of here, you know? And it's kind of like thinking a way of like how drug dealers, you know, like when you think about Jay-Z, Hove always talks about like going outside of like going to Virginia and going to DC and places like that to go pedal his shit, right? And that's kind of like the same way that I... I I kind of thought about it the same way. Tell me about Peralta Project and and that step into entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. Like what what drove that? I mean, what drove the Peralta Project was my 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 love for like streetwear, and you know, I think like hip hop forces you into entrepreneurship. I've tried being a rapper for like a week or two when I was seventeen. <laughs> And I was terrible. I break danced when I was younger. I, um, I, a lot of people don't know this about me, but me and my friends would because my brother was a DJ and my older my my older friends had DJ equipment. Two of my friends had DJ equipment set up in their in their in their rooms. We would pass the time DJing. So I I used to DJ obviously doing art and like and there's you know there's this element of fashion and like having ideas and in the 90s you know there was these like bootleg t-shirts and stuff like that and like me and my friend had this idea of like doing a t-shirt and that was kind of like our my first t-shirt that i did was 17 when i was 17 years old i went we i went to um this uh, Zulu Re Zulu Nation reunion party, and this guy was selling T-shirts, and I asked him where he got them made, and he told me. And we went all the way to the Bronx with this woman, and and she made, you know, we I had a job, and so did my friend, and we scrapped up our money, and we made our first T-shirts. So that was my first taste of like doing teas, and then, you know, after working with August Bishop, the the company I worked for, and 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 seeing like being in urban fashion. Um, all like my favorite graphic designers all had like their own kind of like t-shirt brand, like their own independent t-shirt brand. So I started my own thing too. You know, you know, I was working as a designer somewhere and I just, just kind of like did it for the hell of it. Like just doing it on the side, you know, I would, I would go on the weekends to different stores to try to get my stuff into stores. So it was just really kind of like a hobby and doing something for myself. You know, I started and then I learned how to screen print and I started to do art and and it was just I started to do art and screen printing just to kind of like balance my life, um, not be in front of a computer all the time. So on the weekends, I would I would go to SVA and, or go to um, this um, studio downtown and just create art pieces and and, you know, and balance between having a full time career doing the Peralta project on the side with the t-shirts and stuff like that. And also doing, you know, doing the artwork. One, one thing I love about your art is that I can look at one of your pieces and it says something. I, one of my best friends, name is Steve Boone. Mm -hmm. 
He's a very talented guitar player. Mm-hmm. Uh, to me, he's just the best guitar. I, I love guitar players. Like yeah. my, it's like my spirit mm-hmm. uh, talent yeah. <laughs> that I wish I had. And there's so many guitar players that you hear and they're playing. And then there's guitar players you hear and they're saying something. Mm. Um, you might as well, they might as well be writing a lyric mm-hmm. with their, with their chords. But with your, I find it the same way with any great artist that your art has to have a voice yeah. and it has to say something. Where did you discover that voice and how you were going to, uh, uh, translate your art to other people? Well, you know, again, being hip hop played a part in that because, um, being a fan of bands, you know, groups like De La, but also groups like Public Enemy and X Clan and more of those conscious artists, I've always been into um, music that had a message. Um, for instance, like I don't like reading fiction. I like I like nonfiction. So when I first started to do the art, the work that I did, I I spoke more. I was it was. I spoke on like police brutality and like things like that. Like just kind of like, since I couldn't rap, I put it in the art, you know, and, and it was very kind of like, so like a social activist through my artwork. And so for the first couple of years, that's what I was doing. And then, you know, sitting here in this apartment, which is pretty small, um, the 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 work started to get a little bit too heavy for me and i was like i need to change it and um and one of the things that i noticed is that going to galleries or going to uh to exhibits i never saw work that 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 represented me and 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 my people or dominicans or anything like that so i i i switched up the style and started to do things that represented my culture as a as a Dominican and as a Dominican American and as a Latino, um, tell me the the steps of of you opening your store. Like, uh, how, how did that come about? <sighs> yeah, so <clears throat> we just we just made two years this week. Like, congratulations, oh, thank Don. you. Yeah, this week it was like this week. Um, yeah, this week. Um, yeah, man. So in true New Yorker fashion, I was sick of new york and like looking to leave um and I, I think i was just like writing the year out and um i was um went to check out this guy that i know he opened up a shop and i saw that next door it was empty and i inquired about it and um <clears throat> you know i was always familiar with those the, that space uh and I always thought it was cool because it had like this like weird kind of loft, and I don't know. I I I looked into it and saw that this, the 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 rent was affordable and went the extra step. Uh, got my you know they they checked my credit and I got approved and it was very scary for me like because one that wasn't the goal. I never thought I've always. I've always like, ima- you know, like imagine wanting to have my own shop. Like I've always thought, man, if I had my own shop, like it would be like a coffee shop slash like gallery or whatever. Um, but I never saw it here because like the rent is pretty high up here. Um, 
and I don't know, I, I, I lucked out, but I wasn't, I was, that wasn't the goal. Like the way that what I saw happening was I was going to move to LA, probably live somewhere that had a garage and run the, the Peralta project out of the garage. Right. And maybe try to open up a shop in LA. <clears throat> but, um, yeah. So when that, when I got approved and I was like super nervous about it and I spoke to my dad and I spoke to some of my friends and family and I took the plunge, you know, um, and it's been a blessing. Um, you know, I literally walked, you know, 10 minutes. It's, it's a 10 minute walk from here. It's just crazy to me. You know, like you go to Williamsburg and like you see people open up little coffee shops and they're like, they live down the block, you know? Yeah. And I never saw that reality for me, you know, and to be able to live that reality now is pretty incredible. And, and, and it's the first of its kind. Like there's never been an artist up here that has their own shop in Washington Heights and Inwood. What was the breakthrough moment for you when you realized I, I'm making it? So I had quit my job in 2009, right? And, you know, things were kind of happening little by little. And then I was, I had landed a freelance gig and I was going three times a week, right? It was a friend of mine. She was great. She, I was like, look, like, I can only come in here like two or three times a week and I'm only going to come from time like to 10 to five. And she was like, cool, you know, and that freed up a lot of space for me to uh, work on my artwork and focus on the Peralta project. And after those three years was up, you know, after, and it was like, not by choice. Like they told me like, you know, like Tony, like we can't, you know, we're going to hire somebody full time and you don't want to work full time. So this is pretty much like, it's over. This free, I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, and I told myself, I'm not going to update my resume. I didn't want to go through the headache of like coming up with the right writing of how to explain the million things that I do. So I was like, I'm not doing that. And I just, at that moment, I was like, um, I'm not doing this. And just focus on like the Peralta project. And at that time, like things, you know, I think things started just to pick up a lot more online. Um, the, there was a show that was called Washington Heights that came out that definitely helped because I was already making that kind of up like hyper local clothing. Um, I, w I did a couple of pop-up shops up here. And then like um, once I posted the, um, my Frida con Rolo. Um, so 2015 was when, with the artwork, that shit just like really took off. Um, as far as just like kind of going viral in a way, and and my and and people, um, knowing who I am more and stuff like that. So that that was definitely a moment. But so there was like two moments. So it was probably like 2013. And then like 2015, like those, there, you know, I, I think th those are the, the two dates, but I wasn't going back to work. And then I think 2015 is like, I'm not even taking on work. Like I don't do freelance for anybody. You know what I'm saying? There was a moment where I said, I'm not doing, I'm not doing no work for anybody. I'm just doing, I'm just focusing on myself. For people who are creative and being creative and, and having a passion and a talent for creativity is one thing. Stepping into entrepreneurship is a completely different 
realm. Yeah. Uh, you could be a crea- uh, non-creative and be a great entrepreneur. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, from being the creative who became an entrepreneur, what was the, the, the biggest hurdle uh, for you uh, to overcome or to learn? Man, everything was a learning, like, things started to get scary because it was like you're making a certain amount of money and it's like I'm not doing things right. You know what I'm saying? So I, I you know, from tax, you know, I would always pay my taxes, but I'm just like taking forever to do it because I didn't have a a bookkeeper or anything like that. Um, so I, I, there was this thing called, so I started to seek out help. You know what I'm saying? Um, this thing called like think small, think big, think small. Like it's like a not-for-profit for like small businesses. Okay. So I started seeking out the help just to get information because, you know, you hit us, you're hitting another level being an entrepreneur you know um you're making a certain amount of money and with me is like i'm not trying to get in trouble with the government of course so i'm trying to avoid that at all costs so i want to know all the information and all the things that i need to know and the things that i need to get uh in order to not be in, get in trouble with the government you know what i'm saying um so that was th- that was like the biggest hurdle is just like that learning curve cuz i don't have i'm not a business person i'm not a math person I don't like that stuff. You know, I don't like spreadsheets. I don't do those things. You know, like I got, I got myself a good, you know, I have a, a, an accountant and I have a really good bookkeeper and that stuff is, is, is life-saving. You know, it's a lifesaver. And now I have a financial advisor who's fantastic. So those things alleviate a lot for me who is not a numbers person, you know, and I'm still, and I'm still learning. You know, I'm, st- I'm definitely still learning, especially now with like dealing with, um, you know, these corporate partnerships and stuff like that. For creatives who are uh, looking to work with, uh, you know, corporate entities, mm-hmm. uh, what is something that they should be prepared for um, before going in to that endeavor? So, you know, what was it like four years ago? I I feel like I hit a ceiling and a plateau and I was like, I want to work with, I want to have corporate partnerships. I didn't know where to go, right? As a person of color, you know, there, there's, there's, New York City is a place where people just fuck with people that they know, right? There's like this, like, there's these guards, uh, I don't, I don't know, like, there's this, there's a game that people play. There's this kind of like weird kind of like friend nepotism thing where people hook up their friends, right? So I hit a wall with that because I didn't know who you know. There there isn't necessarily an agency out there. Might there might be just one person, and I was just like, you know what? I'm just gonna continue doing me, and that's what I did, right? Just put my head down and continue with what I know how to do. And what happened was I get random emails from these companies because I build my following organically. And you know what I'm saying? Like it's literally going straight to the people. So my, my, my journey is different. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm not, 
and I like the way that it's going for me now because when you hit me up, you have to deal with me in my terms because I don't need you anymore. Mm. You know what I'm saying? I appreciate anybody who sends me an email, any kind of corporate company who might want to work with me, I appreciate it. But if I'm not feeling your idea or whatever, I'm not doing it. I don't care. It's not about money. You know, it's not about money for me. You know, I love doing different things, though. Um, so that's where I'm at in life, you know. And so my advice is like, I, I mean, it, it all depends what your motive is. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, I got to a point now where it's just like, I just want to I just want to live a comfortable lifestyle. And I also want to, like, represent properly. And and, you know, and I have a great staff. And with me, it's like if I just want to be able to make enough money. And make more money so that I could pay them more. You know what I'm saying? Um, so, yeah, you know, it's like, if you, it's it's weird. That, you know, again, it's like, I like the position that I'm in because it's like people come, you know, these partnerships have come to me because they email me and, 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 uh, and they come to me to have these conversations. And sometimes I say no and sometimes I say yeah. I like to be in that position because it's like, I don't need y'all because you ain't fuck with me before. Like literally like we're in Hispanic heritage month. Right. I've been hit up by like eight different agencies. And I said, no, because I was like, y'all scrambling to do some sort of weird program or little programming in your offices for Hispanic heritage month. Right. But you ain't hitting me up at the end of the year. I mean, through, throughout the year, you're not bringing me any opportunities. You want me to come and talk to your fucking white staff about me being latino get the fuck out of here which that's them good it yeah it doesn't do me any good right, and right. it's like what you want to give me a fee of five hundred dollars or a thousand like that doesn't do anything for me right you know like that's not enough money for me um you know tony before we get out of here you know um i i end every episode of silent giants uh with this question what have you sacrificed uh in your career uh, in your life to achieve what you've achieved well i mean it's, i don't have i'm not i'm 45 years old and i'm not married and i don't have any kids so that could be you know i live a very lonely life so that could be the sacrifice you know what i'm saying i have you know my a lot most of my peers have families i i don't you know what i'm saying Where, which is something that that I'm getting older now is something that I struggle with was like, well, is that ever, is that ever going to come? You know what I'm saying? And I have to, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's something that I constantly have to come, you know, deal with and come to grips. I know that, you know, to some people is, you know, I'm super young, to some people, I'm super old. I, I don't I don't know. You know what I'm saying? All I know is that I am getting older. You know what I'm saying? And I don't know. And it's one of those things that I that that I that I think about a lot. You know what I'm saying? Um that that's probably that's probably the that is the biggest sacrifice because it's what has allowed me to be able to to be where i'm at now you know what i'm saying there's a lot of decisions that i've made most of my decisions are all are all um selfish because i have you know i don't i have a low overhead 
You know what I'm saying? I don't have to think about putting a kid through college or babysitting or whatever. Like I, my, my expenses are this apartment and like my shop and like, you know, the light bill and like internet, that's it. Like, you know, and whatever stuff I might buy myself once in a while. Other than that, that's it. That's, that's my expenses. You know, I mean, you know, I have a staff pay my staff, but that has been like the biggest sacrifice and it hasn't been on purpose. It's just been, it is what it is, you know? Uh, and yeah, so that's, that's pretty much been the sacrifice. Tony Peralta, man, it's such an honor to have you on the podcast. Oh, thank you. Man, Thanks for having me. You know, when I think about legend, when I think about New York City, when I think about a creative, I think about you, my friend. Thank you. I and appreciate it. It's such it. an honor to have you on the podcast, bro. Thank you. Love you, man. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in to another episode of Silent Giants and to our special guest, Tony Peralta. This episode was mixed by Joshua Coleman. Are you a fan of Silent Giants? If so, leave us a five-star rating and a nice review in the Apple app, and I'd be forever grateful. Lastly, before we get out of here, be sure to check out my other show, OPP. Other People's Podcasts highlights America's top podcasters and the dope shows that they created. You can find that on Apple, Spotify, and wherever else you listen to podcasts. Well, I'm your host, Corey Cambridge. God bless y'all. Till next time. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on.